Petrified. Welcome to Knickknack News. I'm Alex. And I'm Anthony. And my first story is technology news. This is from Mashable. Instagram accidentally hid likes for a few hours and everyone freaked out. (laughs) (laughs) Whoa, I did not hear about this. Yeah, neither did I because I'm not glued to Instagram, but... uh, yeah, uh, Instagram mistakenly and temporarily hid like counts for a large swath of users on Tuesday, and people lost their entire minds. <laughs> uh, this according, I could see that being pretty yeah, jarring. Yeah, it's kind of a big change. Uh, and actually, that's what the next sentence is about. The, ch- <laughs> the, the change came with no warning or explanatory <laughs> blog post, unusual for such significant changes to an app. Uh, instead of text revealing the exact number of likes their post had gained, users were merely told that it was liked by a named account and others. Uh, this change affected everyone in users' feeds as well, so they could uh, not see their own likes, but also they couldn't see the likes of other people's Instagram posts. Huh. So, um, but yeah, according to Instagram, this expansion of a, quote, test that's been in place for many users for months was entirely unintentional, and it was reversed a few hours after it went live. So they didn't mean to do this, um, but they have actually been testing this change with some people. Hmm. Uh, though they made it clear that this was only a temporary change that didn't stop Instagram users' strong reactions from rolling in, uh, some applauded the move as beneficial for users' mental health which I can kind of see. Uh, However, others already missed the validation they received from likes. Users also expressed concern that this change could impact Instagram influencers' ability to make an income, which is also a point, I guess. Yeah. Um, (laughs) As someone (laughs) who's not an influencer, I uh, don't really feel that, but I I guess, yeah. Um, Yeah, I mean, if you have no way to measure how many people are visiting your, like, page and stuff then how can you right and if like sponsors can't see that either yeah there's an issue obviously but right um i do kind of i don't know i get the mental health thing and also i Mm -hmm. i think they've talked about doing this in the past just as a way to be like we want you to focus on posting things that you like and not worry so much about the validation of the numbers going up yeah Um, i think they have said that kind of thing in the past and i kind of i get it Honestly. Yeah, I mean, it's a much more, it feels like a more pure, like, it makes mm-hmm. it more of an expressive expressive platform than one that's just meant to, like, get validation, I guess. Anyway, right. Um, countries such as Canada, Australia, Ireland, Brazil, Italy, Japan, and New Zealand had already been dealing with the loss of likes since Instagram began testing the feature in 2019. Um, I don't think that means all of the people in those countries don't have likes, but some of them do. And a small test was also trialed in the U.S. later that year. So yeah, they've been testing this feature in some places. Um, and this was just, somebody probably clicked a button and was like, oops, rolled this out to a bunch of people. Um, and it only happened for a few hours. Everyone chill out, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> okay, my first story is AI news. This is from iflscience.com and the headline is AI attempts to design candy love hearts and we're not sure they'd win your sweetheart. Oh, so they came up with new phrases for them? Oh, good. Excellent. I'm so excited about it. 
I, I am very excited. They're so this. bad, yes. but so good at the same time. <laughs> Blogger and research scientist Janelle Shane has trained an AI algorithm to make candy heart sayings. Um, and I personally love it because the sayings don't make any sense. She used <laughs> 366 unique candy heart messages to train the algorithm. Um, and before I read the examples of what came out of it, this is a quote from her. Keep in mind that this was not a neural net specially trained on candy hearts per se. What I was doing was kind of like walking up to someone and shouting, hot stuff, cool dude, love bird, call me. That would be confusing to anyone, but really it was still a bit strange that the neural net responded by shouting lubricant, because that was one of them. Um, And then she also said, did it have any idea what was going on? Probably not. Even when I gave it a clue and prefaced its prompt with, these are some candy heart messages, it still didn't seem to know what it was doing. <laughs> Which was just such a funny statement to me. Um, so here's some of, the, some of the outputs that I thought were funny. Um, lubricant. <laughs> <laughs> right. Stank love. Okay. Buns, buns, buns. <laughs> okay, that's winning so far. <laughs> <laughs> the end. Oh. Like, why? Oh, no. Biohazard. Huh. Candy hole. <laughs> no blinking. <laughs> Body party! Exclamation point. <laughs> I actually think that's my favorite. Um, Body party is very good. <laughs> bath towels. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. I like that one. <laughs> that one won't fit, though. No. Beans. <laughs> and dancing on a loaf. <laughs> <laughs> so they make no sense. All it really learned is that it was short phrases. I think. Yeah, <laughs> just like one or two words. So I think it's onto really something with body party. I yeah, I know. I liked body party. I thought that was that was good. That was that was witty. That was maybe next level candy art yeah. right there. <laughs> <laughs> That's all. What else could you want? My next story is science news. This is from The Guardian. Unique petrified tree up to 20 million years old found intact in Lesbos. Whoa. It's a really old petrified tree. Um, And apparently it's really uncommon to find them, like, intact, like this one was. Um, Yeah. So first they found the tree, all 19.5 meters of it. Sorry, this is purely in metric, so I do not have have the foot measurement here, but uh, that's like 16,000 feet, um, with roots and branches and leaves. Then, weeks later, the discovery of 150 fossilized logs, one on top of the other, a short distance away. So they found like a full-size tree and then like a bunch of logs all all nearby. Hmm. Um, Nicholas Zuros, a professor of geology at the University of the Aegean, which is the coolest sounding place to work, couldn't believe his luck. In 25 years of excavating the petrified forest of Lesbos, he had unearthed nothing like it. Uh, He said, the tree is unique. To discover it so complete and in such excellent condition is a first. To then discover a treasure trove of so many petrified trunks in a single pit was unbelievable. Um, so the petrified wow. forest in, uh, in Lesbos stretches across almost all of the island's Western peninsula and is a UNESCO global geopark and is among the largest petrified forests in the world. It was produced by successive 
volcanic eruptions, its vividly colored fossilized trunks are a witness to the explosions that buried much of Lesbos under lava and ash between 17 and 20 million years ago. So basically a bunch of volcanic eruptions happened a really, really long time ago and made all these trees into stone, which is pretty cool. Um, the discovery of an entire tree lying on a bed of leaves was not only unprecedented, but down to pure luck. Constructors were about to asphalt that part of the highway when one of, when one of their technicians noticed a tiny branch, and that's what ultimately ended up leading oh, to the discovery. Wow. So if somebody hadn't noticed that branch, they would have just paved directly over this thing. Um, yeah. Well, that was uh, lucky. <laughs> right. Uh, and they also just noted, and there was, they went into a little bit more of the history of, uh, of Lesbos itself, but they mentioned that uh, this is where Aristotle worked on the zoological studies that would become the canon of biological thought for the next 2,000 years. Whoa. Um, so it's a very important like, location as far as the history of science goes. I just thought that was interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Bunch of stone wow. trees. And well, I guess that's so cool. One stone tree and then a bunch of uh, individual logs. But have you ever visited a site of petrified wood? I haven't, no. And now I really want to go to this one. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds so impressive. Um, that sounds super cool. I, I have seen like petrified tree trunks, and I'm trying to remember where I was at, like maybe California with my family one time or I th- something. I think they have them over there somewhere. I'm trying to remember where exactly, but it was a really small, small area. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just had like a few. Again, like really small, like it was like a stump of a tree, and then yeah. like a piece of like something bark. More like this, or yes, just like a single exactly, base like of just a tree. at the base, like this, kind of really small type things. This is what they found. Whoa! Like a full tree on its side. That is so cool. Yeah, definitely check out the pictures when we post the article. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I'd love to see that in real life. Oh, it'd be so cool. My next story is archaeology news. This is from sciencealert.com. And the headline is, The oldest known mummification recipe has been unearthed. Mmm. Delicious. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm not sure why they're calling it a recipe. Yeah. It's like an instructions. Why a recipe? I I guess there's herbal things involved. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Right. Also, it's not technically unearthed. That's a misleading headline. It just was like analyzed oh, recently. Okay. Yeah, they didn't just like dig it up and like, oh, English instructions for right. mummifying. <laughs> <laughs> wow, look at this English two tablespoons on a piece of, of modern Interesting. paper. That's, that's a lot <laughs> of cumin. <laughs> that's, a, that's two tablespoons of cumin. That's so much. <laughs> if you're making like a giant pot of chili, maybe. Anyway, <laughs> while, we, while we can learn a lot about mummification from ancient examples of the practice, questions still remain about exactly how the Egyptians prepared their dead for the afterlife. In an exciting discovery, researchers have found an original how-to manual hidden inside an ancient text which explains the crucial steps to embalming and creating a mummy. Hmm. The guide to mummification has been found on a 3,500-year-old piece of papyrus called the Papyrus Louvre Carlsberg Manuscript. Catchy. Uh, a so-called because half of it, primarily containing medical information, is at the Louvre Museum in Paris, and the other half, 
um, is part of the Papyrus Carlsberg collection at the University of Copenhagen in Denmark. All right. So the so in its whole, it is called the Papyrus Louvre Carlsberg <laughs> manuscript. So this is the first time that the Carlsberg collection half of the manuscript has been analyzed and translated. So they've had it for. I don't know exactly know how long, for a while, but they've actually like gone in depth and, and tried to uncover all the information that's on this thing. Okay. Um, and it has added to information already interpreted from the Louvre Museum half, uh, which mainly covered information about herbal medicine and skin swelling. Uh, before this new text was analyzed, experts only had two original texts on mummification to work with, which I actually didn't know that before reading this. Like, oh, wow. They've only found two so like, instructions. Yeah, I think we've been guessing or just like implying things from just those two sources, which is wow. kind of wild to me. Among the details found in the document is a list of instructions for embalming the face of the deceased person, which <laughs> was done with a piece of red linen coated in a special plant-based solution. The solution included aromatic substances as well as binders for holding the mixture together, and the saturated cloth was intended to keep the face protected from insects and bacteria while also smelling sweet. Oh. The manuscript also <laughs> lays out the full 70-day schedule for embalming, which is like, whoa, it's a long time. I learned about this in, like, grade school, but anyway. Yeah. It's a lot of days. It's been a while. Um, yeah, so it's 70 days fully, and it's split into two halves, a 35-day drying period and a 35-day wrapping period, which were themselves divided into four-day intervals. Um, so, like, all of the steps took, like, four days, I guess. Okay. So they'd be like, okay, this four days, we're doing this. Now we're going to spend four days doing this other thing for 70 days. Wow. In two phases. Yeah. Um, and then they said that in between the four-day intervals, the body was covered, or I guess when they weren't working on it, the body was covered with cloth and overlaid with straw infused with aromatics to keep away insects. The Papyrus Louvre Carlsberg manuscript is actually older than the two mummification manuals that have previously been discovered, and so it now becomes the oldest record of the practice that we currently have. All right. So, yeah, so it's, like, just a cool, I don't know. I don't know why nobody analyzed it before. Right, yeah, it seems kind of weird. It's just sitting there. The The red linen on the face thing is interesting because, I mean, I guess we didn't know about that before. Do you think now we're going to see, like, all the mummies in pop culture are going to have red faces. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Yeah, maybe like how mummies are depicted will change with this new information. Yeah. Yeah, they noted in here the red linen thing that like, even though we didn't like know, we didn't have um, like any written evidence that that was part of it, they have found mummies with that. So like, oh, okay, that would so make they've, sense. So they've like, it, it, it wasn't all of them, but they've seen it before. So they were like, okay, that makes sense because we've seen that before. Oh. So they, it's just kind of like pieces of, yeah. of the puzzle kind of now. I'm just like, uh, okay, so all cool. right. Yeah, <laughs> it is really cool. I, all the like uncovering stuff in Egypt is like very fascinating. Yeah, I like being a consumer of the information. I think it would be really frustrating <laughs> to be like the actual person uncovering it because it takes so long. It takes like 20 years to find something. <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah. This, I, I, I very much appreciate the work they're doing because then Same. I can just consume it at my leisure. Just like, oh, red linen, cool. That's how I feel too. Thank you, all you archaeologists in Egypt. My next story is food news. This is from CNN. Reese's is launching a peanut butter cup without any chocolate. Wait. <laughs> <laughs> what? So it's just a slab of peanut butter filling? Or? No. <laughs> okay. It is, it I'll let is, you describe. It does, it 
does have a shell. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but that is also what I thought the first time I heard about this was just like, so it's just a filling? Like, how is that going to transport? Anyway, uh, Reese's latest iteration of its popular peanut butter cup will be all peanut butter, no chocolate, Hershey announced on Monday. The Reese's Ultimate Peanut Butter Lover's Cup is made entirely of peanut butter, both inside and in the peanut butter candy-flavored outer shell. Uh, so the outer shell is just peanut butter-flavored candy. Okay. It looks the same as a normal Reese's Cup, just okay. not... It's just lighter brown. Hmm. Um, uh, Margot McIlvain, Reese's That's brand... That's a great name. Oh, isn't it? Reese's brand manager said in a statement... <laughs> While launching a Reese's Cup with absolutely no chocolate might, might come as a shock, we're giving the truest peanut butter fans something to go wild about. <laughs> Thank you. Great. Thank you, Margot McIlvain. <laughs> Which, again, excellent name. It's, it's so good. Well, well done to your parents. Um, in the last year, the candy company has released peanut butter cups filled with pretzels and a peanut butter and chocolate snack cake it billed as a mid-morning snack, which we definitely talked about the second one, where like, they were trying to sell Reese's for breakfast, basically. Yeah. That wasn't Reese's Puffs, which are also delicious. Yes. Um, a 2019 Monmouth University... This, at this point now, we're just listing facts about... <laughs> okay. Tangential facts to All this right. uh, candy right now. I'm here for it. Uh, a 2019 Monmouth... <laughs> A university survey found that Reese's peanut butter cups are America's most popular Halloween candy, with over a third of respondents choosing it as their favorite, which we've also talked about how popular it is as a Halloween candy, I think. I don't know if it was that particular poll. Um, yeah, because, wait, Reese's wasn't number one on that poll, but I don't remember what number one was now. It was something unexpected, wasn't it? Are you sure it wasn't number one? Was it number one? I thought it was number one. Maybe it was number one. Maybe I'm just misremembering. Yeah. I don't no. trust my memory. I don't know. <laughs> you have to go back and listen. Yeah. Um, so they say, uh, Reese says they launched the chocolate free version of the candy to celebrate national peanut butter day, which was on March 1st. Um, oh. but these won't roll out until April. So, oh. uh, for, a, it'll be for a limited time and they'll come in standard King and miniature sizes. So, yeah. Okay. I don't hate this idea. I yeah. think oh, it's I would, probably going to taste really good. I would hundred percent try it. I bet that they were thinking like. As marketing people do, what makes us unique? Hmm, the peanut butter. What if we just double down on that? <laughs> it makes sense. I love Reese's. I do too. They're so good. They're so good. Now I want to like eat a bunch of Reese's stuff. Like I want like some Reese's cup cereal or Reese's puffs cereal. <laughs> I want Reese's and, cup cereal yeah. where it's just a yeah, bunch of mini Reese's yeah. cups in a bowl. Why isn't that a thing? That needs to be a thing. <laughs> I would eat that terrible and then for hate you. myself <laughs> yeah. oh, after, 100%. but during it, I would be really happy. Oh yeah. This is what they look like. Oh, okay. That looks reasonable. Yeah. Kind of what you expect. Yeah. I would eat that. A beige Reese's cup. Yeah. It is beige. Which is not in itself an exciting color. No. My next story is animal news. <laughs> this is from LiveScience.com. The headline is, Cuttlefish show self-control pass the marshmallow test. I don't know what the test is, but I love cuttlefish. Oh, you don't know what the marshmallow test is? No. I will explain it really quickly. Um, it's this famous psychological experiment where these people put little kids in a room and made them sit at a desk with like a, mar a, a marshmallow in front of them and then told them like to not eat it and that 
they were going to come back with like more candy or something or like some type of better candy. Oh, maybe I have heard of this. And then like the people just left the room and just kind of test saw how long the kids would like wait before just eating the marshmallow in front of them. <laughs> <laughs> and it was supposed to study like self-control. And then supposedly they like also followed those kids as they got older and saw if there were any like trends with like the kids that like ate it earlier. Uh-huh. Like, did that lead to any, I don't know. Did they make a lot of like, impulsive decisions it, yeah, as an like, adult? <laughs> it, what was their life like? Or were there any connections there or something? How were they about thinking um, in the long term? And I don't, I don't remember if there were any like long term like real significant findings, but it's like a famous like thing about self control, and it's like debated like well the way they set up the study, all these things. I don't know. Anyway, yeah, that's what it is. So they basically did that with cuttlefish. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, I assume not with marshmallows. Not with marshmallows. No, they did. They did it with. <laughs> they called it something funny. I didn't write it down. Like fish munchies or something. <laughs> <laughs> Um, in a recent study, the cephalopods were shown to be willing to forego meals when they knew that waiting meant they would be rewarded with more delicious treats. That meant them, um, or I'm sorry, that makes them the first known invertebrates to show the ability to exert self-control. This is just the latest in our series of oh. <laughs> science showing that animals are smart. <laughs> Whoa. 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 Uh, so the common cuttlefish, also called the Sepia officinalis, don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, Mm. relatives of squids and octopuses are sneaky hunters and impressive camouflagers with the ability to quickly disappear into any environment. They are also very smart, already known to be very smart. Studies previously showed that they have a really good memory, can learn the value of different types of prey, and can use past experience to help them predict where to find food. Um... But apparently, self-control is thought to be the cornerstone of intelligence, as it it is an important prerequisite for complex decision-making and planning for the future. Not all animals share this trait, and it was previously thought that the ones that did, such as great apes, corvids, which is crows and things, in case anyone doesn't know that, um, and parrots have long social lives. Like, the way that the animals, like, their lives are, like, is kind of, like, common like animals that have this ability like are social Mm -hmm. and they also like live a long time okay which both of those things are not don't apply to cuttlefish so right (laughs) (laughs) anyway so they pointed that out as like a it's like an anomaly or something so so the way they tested this um was that they presented the fish with two doors a circle on the door meant that the door would open immediately, and a triangle on it would meant, meant that the door would open with a delay. So they first trained the cuttlefish to recognize this distinction. Then they were given the option of door number one or door number two, where the circle door had less desirable food behind it, but it would open immediately. And then the triangle door had more desirable food, but it would open with a delay. Um, and the fish were also trained that whichever one they chose would mean the other food would be like removed out of their tank. So okay. they knew that. Um, and they did this study and the cuttlefish chose to delay gratification to score the more delicious meal if they knew that that door would open after a delay. Um, they were able to delay grabbing their snack for anywhere between 50 to 130 seconds. During this time, they generally sat at the bottom of the tank looking at the two rewards. <laughs> Sometimes they would even turn away from the immediate 
the less preferred but more currently available option as if to distract themselves from the temptation of that one. <laughs> this same distraction technique was previously observed in humans, chimpanzees, <laughs> jays, parrots, and dogs. Oh. Sorry, interesting. Yeah. Uh, and they said at the end that to link self-control to more intelligent patterns, researchers need to study how the cuttlefish perform in other cognitive tests such as spatial memory and object permanence, which is an understanding that an object continues to exist regardless of whether you can see it. Which a lot of animals do not have. Yeah. So I guess they're going to keep doing more tests with the cuttlefish. All right. We're going to find out they're just as smart as us. They just can't speak our languages. Yeah, probably. Yep. I hope so. All right, it's time for breaking news, the part of the show where Anthony and I look up stories that just happened today or were just posted today, and we read them to you on the fly. Buns, buns, buns! <laughs> Ready, set, go! go! This is from Science Alert. We just found the largest luminous glowing shark species in the world. There's a lot of descriptors in there. Wow. Also, luminous and glowing seem a little... Yeah, is that the same? So we found out we found out that three species of shark that live in what's known as the uh, mesopelagic region of the ocean, which is between 650 and 3,300 feet below the surface, uh, we found three sharks oh. that glow in the dark. Um, those are the kitefin shark, the black belly lantern shark and the southern lantern shark and they've all been discovered to have softly glowing blue patterns on their skin oh uh, the kite fin shark can grow up to five feet 11 inches long so it's now the largest known bioluminescent shark they also point out bioluminescence is not an uncommon trait for living things to evolve even humans glow apparently what which I did not know, but it's too faint to actually see, like for us to see. But oh. we glow on, I guess, some part of the spectrum, or it's just super, super dim. I don't know. Oh, so some animals can see us glowing? Yeah, I guess so. Probably. That's, That's cool. what the mosquitoes see. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I, just, I have no idea. <laughs> I wonder if like, cats can see that since they have like really sensitive eyes to light. Or at least I think that's the case with them. I Maybe. Anyway, <laughs> I shouldn't speculate. Uh, they, scientists have estimated that over 90% of all mesopelagic animals have some form of bioluminescence hmm. um, that they use in different ways. Uh, but yeah. That's cool. So we got some bl glowy blue sharks. Well, the sharks aren't blue. They glow blue. It's an important distinction. Um, and they're pretty deep down. Yes. They, these apparently. It was like, you said 300 far. feet? Six six hundred fifty to three thousand three hundred feet. Oh. So somewhere. In that <laughs> yeah, I was range. like, wait a minute, that seems shallow. <laughs> yeah, no. I deeper. remember the number three. Okay, <laughs> I was about to be like, three hundred feet doesn't seem that deep, but why am I thinking three hundred? Um, that's cool. Yeah, they don't actually know why they glow either. Hmm. So they think it might be for camouflage, um, because the glow is concentrated around their bellies and undersides which could make them virtually invisible from below. Because, like, if you look up, I guess, from that angle, like, something glowing might just look like water reflecting off the surface of the oh. water, or, like, refracting off the surface of the water. I could see that. Or in the surface. I don't know what the proper prop preposition yeah, is to like, use with refracting. Like the filtered, the light yeah. that's filtering through, it kind of maybe just, like, meshes in with that light. 
from if you're looking from below. Yeah. Interesting. It's kind of cool. All right. Blue sharks. Yeah. Again, I guess not blue sharks. So it's the glow, sharks blue, that glow blue. Glow blue blue blue. Yeah. <laughs> blue, blue glowing. Blue no. glow. Glowing blue glow sharks. Blue glow sharks. <laughs> Okay, I have something from thedrive.com. Minnesota apparently has started naming their snowplows. It's spreading. It's trending. I'm so excited. <laughs> I'm 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 just excited. I think the whole country, at the whole world should do this. Remember their snow. Everyone should name every machine. Let's just get Yeah, on that. it just makes it just makes life a little bit more joyous, I think. <laughs> uh, so here's the top. I'm going to skip over all the text in this article and just go to the names. Um, <laughs> That's what the people the, want. <laughs> <laughs> the top. Uh, I guess they had a, a vote, voting for like what names the citizens of uh, Minnesota wanted. Uh huh. And these were the top ones: Plowy McPlowface. Classic. Classic. So good. Fully support it. <laughs> Ope, just gonna plow right past you. So good. Midwestern. So Midwestern. Midwestern chic, I think is what they call that. Duck, duck, orange truck. Hmm. I don't really like get that one as much. It does rhyme. That's really all I've got. Is it supposed to be like a duck, duck, goose thing or? I guess. Is that a Midwestern thing? Is it? I don't think so. I don't know. I don't know. Plow bunion. (laughs) I like that one. (laughs) Yeah. Snowby Juan Kenobi. Also very good. I love that one too. F. Salt Fitzgerald. A little bit more of a stretch, I feel like, but yeah. Yeah, like once you start getting into the like authors and artists' names, it's kind of like, (laughs) okay, okay. Darth Blader. Huh. That one, I'm okay with it, but like Blade? Why is that? Not something I associate with snow plows necessarily. Yeah, like is it supposed to be like the thing in the plow in front of it is a blade? Like what? Is a blade. What's yeah. the blade? A little I don't bit know. of a stretch. And then the the next one after that was the truck formerly known as Plow. Uh, yeah. I'm a little bit like meh about that one. The ranking is actually pretty good. Yeah. I feel like it's pretty much in line with how good they are. Maybe I should have read them in the other order. <laughs> <laughs> so we're not like ending gradually on a, like, oh. oh. Yeah, okay, let's go back to the top. The number one was Plowy McPlowface. So good. Very good. I love it. I want Ohio. Wasn't to do there this. also one in that story that you brought the other week that was also called Plowy McPlowface? Did they have it too? I don't think they did. Oh. I think I just mentioned that that was where Bodie McBoatface came from. Oh, okay, gotcha. So, hmm. but they've also been doing it for years. Yeah. So I bet, like they the first year they it. did it, they had Plowy McPlowface. Yeah. Cause they have to come up with new stuff. Gotcha. So. Yeah, I think our favorite one from last time was For Your Ice Only. For Your Ice Only is so good. Very good. Very good. (laughs) Yeah. Come on, everyone. Catch up. Yeah. We want every plow named. Every plow in the country, in the world, should be named. Let's do it. All right. That's our show. Thanks for listening, everybody. We post episodes every Friday. And as always, the links to this week's stories will be in the episode description. You can subscribe to Knickknack News on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. And you can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash knickknacknews, on Twitter at, at knickknacknews, and on Instagram at knickknacknews. All right. We'll see you next week. Bye. Body party.